Today we start week two of a series we've been in titled Live Generous. Live Generous. And as most of you are aware, if you look at our wall in our lobby, uh, one of our core values is that we're generous with our time, talent, and treasure. I love it. And you know, as you read through the scriptures, it doesn't take long before you're uh, learning there's this kingdom principle that the God we serve is generous, amen, uh, but also that the blessing of God is often activated, discovered, found in the generosity of believers. I would say that one of the best ways to receive in the kingdom is actually to give, right? We see in Proverbs eleven twenty four 24, it says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy, lose everything, and a lot of times, I think the motivating factor for why we're not generous is because we want to store for ourselves. But what's so interesting is in the kingdom, when you try to store for yourself, you actually end up with less than if you were to live generously. This is something God wants us to grab a hold of. So in Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, it says, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. Verse 25, the generous will prosper. Everyone say generous. And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There's a blessing in living a generous life. But honestly, even more than that, I think the gospel is the, most, uh, is the greatest demonstration of generosity the earth will ever experience. What we could not earn, what we did not deserve, uh, that which is being the, the standard fit for heaven, we were not, yet God through Jesus made us that in his grace, in his kindness, and in his compassion when you and I definitely didn't deserve it. It's, uh, it's the greatest act. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's generous. The gospel story is a story about generosity, the generosity that exists in the heart of our God. But even as we look at the life of Jesus, we read this about Jesus in Philippians 2. It says, though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. Our God is the author and the very example of generosity, and he has called us as believers and as his church to emulate that character which he uh, so exudes, Okay. I think something we have to grab a hold of is as we grow in the Lord, as we mature spiritually, the Spirit of God is carrying out the work of Christ in our lives. The Spirit of God is bringing us from glory to glory. The Spirit of God is sanctifying us. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. Therefore, if we're growing spiritually, if we're maturing spiritually, if you're on this same journey that I'm on, we should only be becoming more and more generous as we're moving from glory to glory because we're becoming more and more like Jesus who is. Does that make sense? God gives clear instruction. He cares. He cares. God, God has created everything. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Any time you got, he created it. Any treasure you got, he's gifted it to you. Any talent you possess, he's given it to you. We're all living, sustained by his grace. We're living in his grace. You and I are not owners of everything. We're stewards of everything, though. So he's called us to be generous with our time, which he gave us in the first place. He's called us 
us to be generous with treasure, which he gave us in the first place. He's called us to be generous with our talent, which he gave us in the first place. He's called us to be a steward of these things. So this series, these, these couple of weeks as we discuss generosity is really about uncovering, unpacking, and stepping into all that God is calling us to be, emulating the generosity of our God in our own lives. So here's what I want to do. I want to read our key passage for the morning. I'm going to pray and I'm going to preach. Does that sound okay? All right, key passage is 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is Paul writing a letter to one of his sons in the faith. I'll get into this in a little bit here. Um, but Timothy's on his way to oversee this church in Ephesus. And so here's some of the instruction that Paul gives Timothy as he knows he's going to be leading. He says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those. Everyone say generous. And generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. My oldest daughter needs to read this passage, I swear, because... Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. God's called this church to be generous. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We are uh, just feel honored, blessed to be with the people of God in your house. Lord, I pray specifically for an anointing that would allow for the preaching to be powerful and effective this morning. That real life change would take place from these moments where we gather together. I pray for a tilling of the soil of every heart that might be under this voice, whether that's in the room or on a podcast, that it would be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word, that it would take root and grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to come in week after week and just hear this word. We want to live it out. We want to be transformed into a company of kingdom peoples. We, we want our life to testify to the goodness of our God. Cultivate, transform us. Uh, do what only you can do in this time, and we pray this church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you are in the room uh, and, and you're like me, but I, I got a grandma who's full, full of faith. Amen. Anybody have a grandma who's full of faith? You know your grandma's made an impact on you. Come on, we need some, we, everybody needs a granny who's full of faith, amen? And so there's been different uh, moments in my life where uh, my, my grandmother's written me prophetic letters and she's spoken into my life and she's encouraged me and she's called things out of me when maybe I didn't even see them in myself. And she loves Jesus and, she, and she's been a woman in my life who's ministered to me and uh, she, she's ministered to others. She operates in some, uh, uh, some spiritual gifts of prophecy and healing and she's a spirit-filled woman. And there was one day particularly, now I don't necessarily remember the details of the story, so some of it may be a little bit of a lie, but I'm uh, relaying it with, to the best of my ability, Okay, so I think I was staying home sick from school. And so I wasn't feeling good. 
And uh, me and her were kind of, we were talking, uh, uh, and I think she was like, do you want me to pray for you? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. And somehow we got on the topic of being slain in the spirit. Now, if you're from Pentecostal circles, uh, maybe you've been around this, you've seen this. If you've ever watched you know, YouTube or anything, maybe you've seen this on videos where a, a preacher or a pastor will lay their hand on somebody's head and they, and they fall over, uh, overcome, overwhelmed by the power of God. God. Now, I'm not here to debate whether that's real or fake or whatever that is. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is she asked me if I wanted to be slain in the spirit, and if it's the power of God moving, I want in. That's just how I've always been. That's how I'll always be. Sir, if I can experience the power of God, sign me up. Amen? So I'm, I'm laying on the couch. I'm laying on the couch, and she breaks out her oil, and uh, she goes, all right, I'm going to pray for you. I said, all right, Grandma, I'm ready for it. I'm just laying on the couch, like, and I'm just like, I don't know what's going to happen. And there's been some times where I've been in my living room, someone prayed for me, and some crazy things broke out. So I just, I wasn't discounted, but I'm laying there. You ever been in a moment where somebody else is like in this moment with the Lord, but you're just not quite there with them? That's, that's what's happening right now. So I'm laying there. She's praying. She opens her eyes. She says, if you tried to get up and walk right now, you wouldn't be able to. I got right up and walked into the kitchen. <laughs> and so I don't really tell this story for any other reason than to just make you laugh. And I think it's hilarious. And I went back and I, and I saw her this summer and we talk about that and she still brings it up. But, um, you know, part of the reason that I bring that story up is because we see there's this young man named Timothy who has actually been impacted by the faith of his grandmother. I want to read this verse. 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us when, when, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. And for maybe no other reason, the Lord's brought some people into this room this morning for you to be reminded and to remember that what God is doing in you right now, actually everything that's being cultivated in you right now, the good and the bad, is being passed on to the generation after you. And so some of us need to take this moment to remember what God's called us to. We need to remember what he's doing in us. We need to acknowledge what's taking place in us and understand that it's not just your life that's being affected, but there's a line and there's a legacy coming after you. So guess what? Maybe your mama didn't follow Jesus, but you're going to follow Jesus. And your kids are going to follow. And then their grandkids, your grandkids are going to follow Jesus. So, so we just need to understand that um, God works through lines and he works through legacy. Amen. So anyways, I, I just love that. Timothy is a product of a faith-filled grandma. That's what we see. And so Paul, he, we, we've talked a lot about Paul in these last couple of weeks, but he's going from town to town. He's a missionary. And so at some point, Paul ends up in Timothy's town and he recognizes that God's hand is on Timothy, that there's a measure of faith that exists in Timothy's heart. 
And, and he sort of calls Timothy out by name and, and he takes Timothy under his wing. And then Timothy starts walking around with Paul doing uh, uh, ministry with Paul. And, and he sort of gets this hands-on training. Spends a couple of years in, in Paul University, apparently, okay? In Acts 16, we see this relationship where, where it first takes place. It says, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Okay? It says his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well in Iconium, and so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Paul says, hey, Timothy, I like you. Come on. Good new ministry. We are? Yep. Come on. Okay. So, Verse three, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised. Timothy's like, I don't want to go anymore. He says, just relax. We got we to do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Verse four, then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So here we see Timothy is now following. He's a disciple of Paul. Paul's raising him up to be a man of faith. He's learning these lessons. He's, he's watching Paul sit down with elders. He, he's watching Paul take them through curriculum to grow in their knowledge. He's watching Paul uh, conflict resolute. No. Conflict resolution things. Yeah, he's, he's learning. He's learning how to lead. He's learning how to preach. He's learning how to read his Bible. He's learning how to hear from God. He's, he's maybe growing in the gifts of the Spirit, and he, he's becoming um, a, a more well-rounded Jesus follower and a leader. He's one of Paul's son, sons in the faith. And in verse 5, it says, so the churches were strengthened in their faith, and grew larger every day. Not only is Timothy just a part of ministry, but this is effective ministry. He's getting some of the best training in the world that's available. He, start, he starts traveling around with him. And so uh, we've talked about this, but just a couple chapters later in Acts 19, I believe, we see Paul stumbles into this town called Ephesus and uh, basically leads a three-year revival all of which I'm pretty sure that Timothy is a part of and he's there during this. And so there's crazy stuff that happens. Everybody brings their spell books. They, they bring them to the town square. They burn them millions of dollars worth of spells, spell books and cantation books and all this stuff. And Paul just goes in and the Lord does something powerful in him and through him for three years. And then he leaves. And then, uh, so, but, but while he was there, he, he uh, appointed elders and he really kickstarted the church, essentially. And so this letter to Timothy, Paul's gotten word that the church has fallen apart in Ephesus. And so what Paul's going to do, he had multiple sons in the faith, like Silas was another one. He, he assigns Timothy to go back to Ephesus. And what First Timothy is, is him equipping Timothy to do that well and to do that effectively. So he talks about all these different aspects and areas of the church and uh, certain confrontations that he needs to take part in, how he needs to address the current leaders, correct their teaching, all of these things. I, I have a whole uh, bunch written out about what he needs to do. But he says, uh, he says uh, there, there's been some new leaders gaining influence in the church at Ephesus. He needs to confront the poor leaders. Timothy needs to confront these poor leaders who are distorting the ministry. 
Paul wants Timothy to uh, commit to praying for governing officials and for peace in the land. Then Timothy is to rebuke a group of men who are arguing and fighting over theological differences, and he wants them to instead take time to pray. I want you to lift holy hands and pray. Then there's a group of women who are treating the church like the Met Gala. They're dressing very bougie and giving off this uh, message and this impression that we're superior to you. We're more valuable than you when really the church is supposed to be something that's unified, right? Unity is supposed to be taking place. And then Timothy's to correct some bad theology that's been taught by some of these other leaders and, uh, you know, uh, specifically around the things of what Christians can do and what they can't do and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And he just wants to bring clarity to that. Paul's going to use Timothy to be this messenger to help bring clarity and clear some of the conflict that's taking place in the church. And now apparently these corrupt leaders that Timothy has already had to confront about other issues uh, are exhibiting some greedy behavior where they know that the lessons they have to teach is highly sought after information. They possess special information, but they're charging money for the teaching. And so they're becoming very wealthy. They're charging outrageous prices for their teaching, which is allowing them to grow more and more wealthy. So Paul gives instruction on how rich Christians should really steward their wealth. He helps bring clarity as to what this is supposed to look like. And this is where we find our key verse for the day. It's in uh, 1 Timothy 6, and and then I'll just take some time to uh, share some thoughts on this. But it says this, teach those who are rich. So this is Paul writing to Timothy. This is what Timothy needs to teach the church in Ephesus. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. And I think, you know, that man, that can be a real temptation for a lot of us man, if I just had enough money to actually do something fun with my kids, then I could really make an impact and we could really have a better relationship and we could experience restoration. Like more money is going to be what what, what allows us to experience a better relationship with our kids. Maybe some of us were like, man, I would just have so much more joy if I could just pay for this. If I just had enough to do this and could have this sort of lifestyle, then it's like as if there's going to be a, a real joy that exists. And, and maybe without even realizing it, some of us have found ourselves in season where our trust is in wealth. When we know that real authentic joy, real authentic peace, real authentic goodness, there's one source. And it's the spirit of God. Amen? So he's reminding them, hey, your money, we, we learned in 2020, we can lose everything, snap of a finger, right? So your trust can't be found in this. It's unreliable. Trust in your wealth is unreliable. It's sand. It's sand. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul's reminding through Timothy, the church, he's like, hey, God's going to give you everything you need. He's your supplier. He's your sustainer. Trust in him. Tell them to use, so, that, so then he addresses what they should, how they should really steward their finances. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. 
By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. It's verses like this that we've taken time to evaluate and consider when we're putting together core values, when we are having conversations about what kind of church has God called us to be through his word? What does he desire to see in his church? What does God desire for his church? And, and, and there's a reason that we didn't make the core value that we're generous with our time. And that was it. There's a reason we didn't make the core value we're generous with our talent. And that's it. And, and, and so on. You guys can see that we're generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Because here's what I think the trap is that a lot of us fall into. Maybe naturally, you're a really gifted, talented person. Maybe, maybe you have a, a measure. You have wealth in terms of ability or whatever your talent might be. Maybe the same, same with time, where I'm just in a season where I don't have a whole lot of responsibilities. I've, I've sort of been freed up, and I have this abundance of time. Or same with treasure. Hey, man, I just, I got a promotion. I really, I, I got a good, I got a good chunk of money. I'm comfortable right now. I have a, I have a lot of money. Maybe you find yourself in one of those areas. And what I'm concerned believers want to do is we want to say, ah, well, I, I know how talented I am, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him my talent. I'll, I'll give some of this. But we don't give of our treasure or our time. Or maybe we find ourselves where I have an abundance of time, but I, I'm still stingy with my treasure, but, but I give it of my time. But it's like, but you have an abundance of that, Right? So, and what we see here in the verse is, is Paul saying, I don't just want them to do good things with their money. I want them to be rich in good works. I don't want them to just be generous with their treasure. I want them to be generous with their time. And I want them to be generous with their talents. Because when we look at Romans, Romans lays out what true worship looks like. And it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. And part of the reason I love the whole time, talent, and treasure thing is because nobody escapes. When, when I'm called to be generous, I, I may have abundance in one of those areas. And so for me to give is like, it's, it's almost easy. It's almost easy. But when I'm called to be generous in all three of those, very little of us have an abundance of all three of those. At some point, it becomes sacrificial. And that's kind of the point, because I didn't see Jesus li living a convenient life. Amen? And I actually see that when, when, when the scriptures say this is truly the way we worship him, it's saying that we do that when we're a living and holy sacrifice. Let me give you layman's terms. You truly worship God when you're generous with your time, talent, and treasure. So... so I love how uh, Paul writes this letter and he says, I don't, just, I, I don't just want them to just do good things with their money. I want them to give of themselves. 
And this is what kingdom living looks like. Offering ourselves, our whole body, as a living sacrifice. I'm committed to to the purposes of the kingdom and to the will of the kingdom. So Jesus, I'll do whatever you call me to do. With everything you give me, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to steward everything that you've called me to. And I believe that out of this passage out of Timothy, we discover two reasons we're liberated to live in that way where we can trust God to live generous lives. Number one is this, God's generosity towards us. When you know that you're not the source, but that you have access to the source, who is an unlimited source, that liberates me. I can give away freely because he's going to cover me and he'll give me what I need. We, we see in verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God's got you. Matthew six thirty three. seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, he'll give you everything you need. In, in that same little chunk of scriptures, uh, he, he says, look at the birds, look at the lilies, I, I, I provide for them. How much more do I care about you? I'll give you everything you need. You don't need to worry, right? There's, there's another verse. I, I love this. It's in Ephesians 1. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, someone say every, not just some, not just a couple, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. There's something about placing faith in Jesus. We get to link arms with him. We become united with Jesus. And all of a sudden, we have access. We've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Like we should read these verses and just like, our head should explode. This is unbelievable. I I don't have a better word to describe it. We've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Like, I honestly think judgment day is going to come. We're going to stand in front of Jesus, and, and we're going to have, uh, there's going to be this eye-opening revelation of all that it really, truly means to be in Christ Jesus, because I don't even think that we fully grasped it. I don't even think our brains have uh, the hardware, uh, uh, hard drive capacity ability to retain all this, to, to, to really receive all of this, Right? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Here's my point. God's going to be generous to you. He's going to provide all your needs. He's going to give you everything you need. That liberates us to be generous. Amen? Amen. Okay, second thing. In verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6, he says this, by doing this, when, when they're generous with their time, talent, and treasure, by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Second Peter says this. It reiterates this point, I, I think, in some ways. Second Peter 2, it says this, verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Sam, you can come. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. 
Dear friends, and this is really the part I wanted to get to. This is the part of the verse that I think is so helpful for our perspective as we live day to day. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Some of us were so committed to the accumulation of our own resources, holding on to it, got to collect it, got to keep it, got to get more. It ain't none of it coming with you. We are sojourners. We, we are aliens. We are foreigners passing through this life. And we will not spend eternity here, but we will spend eternity in heaven. And I will say, but what we do in this life stores up treasures to be experienced and rewarded in the life after this. And I'm not saying that's why you do it, but it gives you this confidence that I can, can, you, I can continue to give. I can continue to sow. And I don't need everybody to know. And I don't need everybody to see it. God sees it. And he's the rewarder of it. Not only is it our calling, not only do we experience an outpouring of when I'm generous right now, I believe he expresses and pours out his generosity on us while we're on earth. I believe that. I, I have countless testimonies of someone who's like, yeah, I started tithing at church. Husband got a raise. I'm like, wow, imagine that. Can you believe it? Like, like his word is true. If we'll sow, if we'll be generous to the people of God, God will be generous to you. But I also know that part of the reason I'm liberated to give where I don't have to hold on to everything, where I don't have to accumulate, is that there's a life after this that I'm living for right now. And what I have on, in this earth, it ain't coming with me. sojourners, we're foreigners. The God we serve is he's so generous, man. You know, it's, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's a real shame because I feel like there's so many people who are, who are living, breathing, walking around on earth. I was sitting in my barber's chair. I actually couldn't get into my normal barber. So I went to this guy. He's my second option. He does a great job too. And uh, he doesn't make the mustache as good, but I'm sitting in his chair. I'm sitting in his chair. And he says, yeah, but if you've got to believe in a God to not go to hell, is that really, is that really gracious? Is that really loving? And I'm sitting in his chair and I'm like, man, I'm like, when I think about it, it's not so much about what I'm saved from as much as it is what it means for me right now and what I'm saved to. I'm like, because you're probably living your life right now, doing your mushrooms, smoking your weed, trying to, uh, trying to experience pr promotion, whatever, let's just be real, this is the world. Like, you know, you're trying to experience your promotion so you can have more money and you're chasing something, man. You're after joy. You're after peace. You're after purpose. We're all looking for it, bro. I said, but I'm connected to the source. I, you know, and I can't remember if this is exactly how the conversation went, but it was something along these lines. I said, I said, man, God says, I said in his word, that his spirit produces joy, his spirit produces peace. 
I said, and then, man, I, I go into this next life where there is no more suffering and there is no more pain. And like, he freely gives that. And he had nothing to say back. He goes, hmm, I didn't think about it like that. I don't even know how I got here or where I was going with this story. But at the end of the day, it's just, God's been so good to us through his son, Jesus. And we've seen his word. He's given us every spiritual blessing. And we have all these reasons that we're liberated to live generously. So Christians, we got to stop living stingy. And we got to stop living selfishly. Oh, that's a point that I wanted to share. Is that that pressing, that conviction, that, that exhortation, that accountability to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure. It, 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 you know, when our flesh wants to hang on and be selfish, it, it, it pulls the fingers off of our flesh, right? And we, and, and it's like, man, you can't, if you're generous in all those areas, it's like, there is no room for selfishness. It's only sacrifice.